Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward, aka Red Sox Dugout, alongside Joey Nagel and Will McNamara. How are we doing? Hanging in. Rain. 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 <laughs> Thanks for the weather report. Um, <laughs> this is uh, post All Star game now, so we have the two days off before the Red Sox are back in action. Uh, but that means the first half is over, and we can look back at this roller coaster of a half and, and kind of analyze. Also, the season starts today, guys, or I guess on, on Friday uh, when the Sox are back in action. But it's a clean st- slate as far as I'm concerned. You get a few days off, all-star break, season starts on Friday. I didn't realize opening day was so late this year. I know. I guess it's I like the COVID season, I guess. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's cool. Uh, Red Sox actually finished out the first half really strong. They won eight of their last nine, swept one of the best teams in Major League Baseball, the Oakland Athletics, uh, and they finished 48-43, and 43, which is a 527 winning percentage, and two games out of the wild card. So it's not the worst spot to be in at all heading into the second half. I'm feeling pretty good, which really doesn't mean anything because we'll feel good and then bad will happen. But I don't know. I, I'd like to think that uh, the good might stick. No, I really I agree with that. I mean, there's no there's nothing wrong with having a little hope. I mean, they can the Sox can show us that they can win eight out of their last nine, go into the break, you know, get some get some rests, get their arms fresh, get the legs fresh, and go into the second half of the season and try to do some damage. I mean, we're only two spots out. This can be a postseason team. They just need to put the work in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you look at the schedule opening up the second half, you've the Cubs for three. They're not doing too well. And you got the A's again. So a lot of winnable games down the stretch. And as that trade deadline approaches, you have a pretty easy schedule. If you take care of business, you have a chance to prove to the front office that this team, you know, might be worth investing in or maybe, you know, prove that it's not worth selling. Um but yeah, you know, things are starting to pick up. The pitching continues to be amazing. Like over the past month, they have been the best starting pitching in baseball, which is unbelievable considering they're running on three starters. And um, from a high level view, it's unbelievable that the Red Sox are able to be two games out of a wild card spot oh, yeah. and winning all these games. When you consider the fact that they are desperate for pitching, they're piecing together a starting rotation on a daily basis quite literally i mean taylor scott the dude from south africa starts your game to end the second half it's unbelievable and if you told us this before the season we would have been like this is 2020 or this is 2022 all over again yeah you would think that we have a a well under 500 record but that's not the case Uh, it's it is surprising and it, it is very impressive what the red sox have been able to do despite all the injuries they've had um and it does make you question what is the future going to hold in terms of buying versus selling? Last episode, we were talking about sell, sell James Paxton, uh, Duvall, whoever. And now that is more of a complicated question. And I don't know what the right choice is right now in terms of buying or selling um, because of how inconsistent this team is. Like right now, they're 48 and 43. They could lose the next five games and be back at, at 500. So it is, it's not an easy decision at all for Bloom and the Red Sox about what to do with the deadline. But that's why I think, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, I think one of the best options for the Red Sox is a, a mixture of buying and selling. The thing that I've hated, I'm Bloom's whole tenure here, could be the right uh, right plan of action for the Red Sox this year. 
Yeah, and it boils down to abundance at certain positions and no depth at others. And it's really interesting because the pitching has been so good, even though it's just been duct taped together, this rotation. But the offense for months now has been struggling. You know, the first, the April stats still inflate it as this offense is to one of the best in the game. But we know, like, even during this this hot stretch, the offense hasn't been stellar by any means. So it puts you at a weird spot as to what your trade targets would be at the deadline if you do the buy and sell because you do need pitching depth. But do you need another bat or are you going to hope that some of your guys get hot again or if or you call up a guy that and he can hit a hit and contribute to this lineup it to me it's a weird a really weird spot to be in i don't think this is a team that you go over the luxury tax for you go all in and trade for you know the biggest battle on the cares? market or anything who cares about taxes just do whatever you want figure out the money later that's what i do works out great uh anyways what are your feelings on james paxton because i was big on the sell james paxton i had a whole clip about it last week about how you should trade him you, he set you up perfectly to trade him get value back now i don't know I don't know if it makes sense to trade him. I think that they really need to think about, I mean, the buy and sell is a great idea. It could be. It could, if you do it, it right. If you do it right, it can be a great idea. But I think the mindset that the front office needs to have right now is how deep do you think this team can go? I mean, yeah. this, this right now we're looking at two games out of the wild card. We're a playoff contending team. You know, we're going to be in one of the last wild card spots, if anything. But how deep, if we make it to the postseason, do you think this team can go? And if we think that we can make it anywhere, what weapons do we need and what abundancies do we need to get rid of? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a hard question to answer, though, because if you look at how the Red Sox have fared against certain teams, it just makes it even more confusing. They seem to be good against the good teams and bad against the bad teams. Um, and, and the stats show that the Red Sox are 31 and 25 against over 500 teams and 17 and 18 against below 500 teams. So they have a winning record against good teams and a losing record against bad teams. They're a combined two and 10 against the Pirates, Rockies, White Sox and Cardinals, all bad teams. But as you know, they're 12 and one against the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Um, and if you think about it, too, if you think about who some of those contending teams are going to be in the postseason, you have the Braves, they're the best team in the league right now. Red Sox split the two-game series with them so far. We play them again later in this month, so that'll be kind of telling. Uh, the Rangers are one of the best teams in the league. We took two out of three from them. So what the Red Sox have shown against some of the better teams is, okay, maybe they can have a chance in the playoffs when you get to that adrenaline stage where you're, you're facing the better teams. Maybe they do have a, chan a chance there. But you also have to get the job done against the bad teams to get there. So it, it is a complicated question to answer when you look at that because do you maybe you think that you have a chance if you make it to the playoffs, but do you have a chance to make it to the playoffs? Uh, and who can you acquire to, to increase your chances of that? If you do do the buy and sell, maybe you trade James Paxton as, okay, if we miss the playoffs, we get value back for James Paxton. But then you also buy someone who's like, okay, if we actually do string together some more wins and make a run at that wild card spot, we got this guy to help us in the postseason. So you do a mix of those, but... I don't know. My thing last year and the years before the buy and sell is you're buying and you're selling. So I feel like they just cancel out. That's been my problem in the past, but uh, it could work this year. But the thing is, you're not really canceling out because you're going to buy. So say we sell Paxton 
and we make a trade for, say, a middle infielder that we yeah. desperately need. I mean, you're getting two completely different ball players. One on the pitching side that you're going to lose, you know, we need arms, and Paxton's been a dog for us for a while. But if we can get something back that can bring our offense to where it needs to be and can play some defense in the field that we desperately need, I think it's a fair value. But it's not that it's canceling out. It's that we're getting something great in return for something great, but it's two different aspects of the game. Yeah, and the whole thing with the buy and sell, it sounds like a great idea, but it is so hard to pull off because you also have to think about what message you're sending to the clubhouse because during the Heim yeah the Heim Bloom era in, even in 2021 they you know the clubhouse was frustrated with him for not doing enough at the deadline last year they trade the longest tenured player on the team you know what does trading James Paxton say to this team who's been your best pitcher all season um I go back and forth on it there's two and a half weeks till the deadline I won't have my decision until then realistically if you're going to trade him it would have to be and i i stand firm on this if you're going to trade james paxton the return has to be huge oh absolutely. which it very absolutely. it very well could be like because, an offer you can't refuse exactly that's what it has to be and that's certainly a possibility because we know the teams will overpay for starting pitching at the trade deadline regardless of you know what injury history or contract may be it's just so hard to do and I think trading James Paxton sends a bad message to this clubhouse, but also it depends what they look like in the games leading up to the deadline. Yes, these upcoming games are important, but those you know five or six games right before the deadline are crucial because that's the last impression that you get to make. Um, but as for other pieces that you'd sell off, I mean, I think we've all figured that Adam Duvall is probably going to be traded just for positional purposes. You know, he's, he's been great. Um, not the same since he got back off the IL, obviously. But, you know, that opens the door for Jaron Duran, which would actually be a net positive for this team. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the thing is, with we can sell Paxton because as good as he is, I mean, the end of the season, we got arms coming back off the IL. I mean, not all of our arms are going to be, like, fully healthy. You know, they're going to have to rehab. They're going to have to do all their stuff. But, I mean, we got Bayo. We got, I mean, Whitlock's going to come back off injury. Howick's going to come back off injury. Sale's coming back soon. He's already throwing, right? I mean, we we have arms that are MLB proven that are coming back and can help us win games. So, saying like, oh, selling Paxton is going to end our season, you know, it's all, all the value that we can give, it's not entirely true because these guys can come back and make a huge difference. But they could also come back and do what they did, which is get hurt. So that, that, the that's the tightrope. It's scary. all about the yeah. hypotheticals. Exactly. That's why the buy it, and sell is scary. It's, it's a huge risk. Huge risk. Because, yeah. you know, if guys stay healthy, you might not notice Paxton's departure. But, you know, if, if there's a setback for anyone or if Sale can't come back or if he gets hurt again, you look terrible. You look pretty stupid doing it. Yeah. Um, I like the point that you made about how trading James Paxton could kind of throw off the clubhouse potentially because that was a major issue last year. Obviously, they weren't as much in a, in a playoff run, but 
um, trading Christian Vasquez wrecks the clubhouse. That really showed the players that we don't care about this season. They basically threw away the rest of the season. They don't care about clubhouse morale. Uh, and, that, and that was really bad. And that honestly could have contributed to some of the Xander Bogart stuff, too. Um, but they were, Yeah, they were roommates. It definitely... Exactly. It they definitely were, yeah, did. it definitely contributed to Xander Bogart's um, bad feelings in that end. I don't know about the signing or not. But uh, trading James Paxton could be similar to that. Because right now he is, as you guys said, the guy. He is your most... I mean, Brian Bayo for sure, too. But he is your most reliable pitcher along with him. Um, and trading him could send some mixed feelings to the clubhouse. Depends who you get back and all of that. Um, one thing that I'd like to note in terms of like a playoff hunt is, so obviously the Red Sox made the wild card game in 2021 and went on a decent run, got close to the World Series, probably should have made it, whatever. Their record in the first half was 55-36, and 36, which is a 604 winning percentage, uh, better than right now. However, the second half of that season, they had a 521 winning percentage. Our winning percentage right now is 527. So if we just flip that, if we go 604 in the second half of the season, we could find ourselves in a similar spot to 2021. And my point there being a huge trade for the Red Sox in 2021 was Kyle Schwarber because uh, he was huge for us in the postseason and brought a new energy to the team. So do something like that. What do we give up for Kyle Schwarber? I don't even remember because that's how not significant it was. So if you get a guy like that that's more under the radar. Who, who was it, Joey? You don't know. Anderson Espinosa. I think that's right, actually. <laughs> How's he doing, though? He's probably serving Subway his, sandwiches at Subway or something. His arm blew up. Exactly. Um, but if you want to go in on this season, uh, you don't have to go all in and trade for Shohei or something, but you can go out there and get an under-the-radar guy who can fill a role. Like, they had problems at first base in 2021. He came in, you made him play first base. Um, so, obviously, this year, middle infield's a problem. You're going to have Trevor Story coming back. But maybe you try to actually put him at second base and get a shortstop because you've been needing a shortstop this whole time. Um, or maybe you go get some more pitching. You'll need pitching anyways. So there's options there in terms of, of guys you can get that don't wreck the farm system. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to do that anyways. Like farm system and, and like the prospects that Bloom has brought in has been a big reason why he's here. Um, and, and you don't want to go out there and, and trade your top five prospects and again, wreck your farm system. So they could be in a situation where we're buying and selling works, but I don't think you should call it that. Don't call it a buy and a sell. Just call it trading. It's just trading. Yeah. You're trading for guys you need. Yeah. And well, they don't call it the buy and sell deadline. That's true. Yeah. You use the trade deadline. It's tough because like in this scenario, you're, you're like the trades you're making, historically it's you're trading minor league players for major league players but what they're going to try to do this year is really trade major league players for major league players yeah it's which like, is, which is rare and it's hard to pull off especially because no team wants to lose who doesn't want nick pavetta i wouldn't trade nick pavetta why i wouldn't either he's i would been, absolutely he's been an absolute no no he's been fantastic well yeah you got to give up stuff to get stuff i know i don't want to trade I, james look, I, i've seen i've seen that rumor as well but like Think the, about it. The though. pitching is so thin on this team. If you trade James Paxton, you need every other pitcher you can get. We can we can sell at most one arm, I think. Yeah, one one arm, and even then, well, you I'm do saying put that instead of Paxton. 
less value though. You're you're not going to get much for Pavetta. Yeah, but less impact to the team. I, I think that if you trade Nick Pavetta, then Will's point's more relevant. Of the the arms that you have coming back, it's easier to count on them replacing a reliever than replacing a starter. Yeah. Because you get those arms back. Where does Cutter Crawford go into Nick Pavetta's position? You you make a good point, especially because Cora did also float the idea of Hauk and Whitlock potentially pitching out of the bullpen to get them back sooner, so that yeah. they don't have to ramp well, up. I don't love that idea, but that's yeah, where he did say that. Well, for one, I think. For one of them, it could be good, but yeah, it's a really interesting situation. Last week, I was all aboard the sell James Paxton no matter what, but right now, I'm leaning towards keeping him because you're in a good position with him because, look, it, it's a you're, you owe him nothing. He's been great. His contract is up at the end of the year, so you can do whatever you want with him. Yeah. Um, if the offer is not there and they keep him, I'm perfectly okay with that because he's ultimately been the best pitcher on this team and he helps this team. The only reason that I would trade him and potentially completely demoralize the clubhouse and because it shows them you don't believe in them. Trading James Paxton, Paxton ultimately shows the clubhouse that this is not a worthy team. It doesn't really matter who's coming back in that deal. And that's dictated by the games leading up to the deadline, whether the players will understand it or not. Well, yeah. To be fair, there are because we have to three remember weeks until the deadline. Yeah, so there's time. A where lot can, can happen. Yeah, and those final ten five games are the most important because that's the that's the taste left in the in the mouth of the front office when the yeah. deadline comes. And real quick, that's kind of what Bloom said too. He spoke to this, and he's like, "There's still a lot of, of time where did. things can change." Yeah, he's like, "It's a it's a trade deadline for a reason. Like a lot of trades happen right at the deadline because you want to see what your team is um, as long as you can." Another thing you have to remember is Heim Bloom, this is potentially his last deadline. He needs he's fighting for he's fighting for his job. Like this is this is his last chance to prove that he is capable of running the Boston Red Sox, right? So in that regard, he kind of does have to make a splash. Yeah, plus he's under the microscope but even his hands extra. Are, his hands are tied, too, because last year, by staying over the luxury tax by $4 million or whatever minuscule amount it was, put put the entire team at a disadvantage this year because this year yeah, you can't really go true. over the tax. Last year is the reason that if, if, if you guys as fans are upset with whatever happens at the deadline that they didn't buy enough, you can thank Bloom last year for completely messing up that deadline. Yeah. All he had to do was dump either JD or Evaldi or even Matt Barnes. If you got someone to take on his full salary, you get under the luxury tax. And if you get under the luxury tax, the whole butterfly effect happens. You can, you can give Xander whatever he wants. Or yeah. this year, you can go out and spend like crazy. Yeah, but he didn't do that. And exactly. I think for that reason and for how his, his, um, his tenure has been in terms of finishing records, I think he's extra under the microscope, especially also because John Henry and ownership got booed at Sox for a weekend, and that was very powerful right after that. He goes out and he signs Devers to the extension. And so I think ownership's a little fed up with kind of being looked at as like a, a poverty franchise and not really pleasing the fans as much. I don't think they care a whole lot, obviously. But I think that if the Red Sox don't really do anything at the trade deadline, it's not going to look good on Heim. I think picking a direction or at least making a, a decent amount of moves will kind of show that Heim is invested and in, um, trying to keep his job, which is important. Um, 
Yeah, but we I, say it every year. We want the direction. Uh, yeah, I want them to show that they're trying to do something versus past years where it's like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Hey, we did something. I want them to actually like – like I, I don't really need them to pick, okay, <clears throat> we're giving up on this season um, or, okay, we're going all in. That, that'd be cool. But just do some moves that show that you're trying to do something productive, um, whether it is a buy and a sell, something that there's significant change in the team. Last year, I feel like there wasn't any change in the team. Like it was, uh, a was last year when they got Fam, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so a, they that get Tommy Fam and they get rid of Christian Vasquez. And you're like, what and does Eric this Cosmer. do for us? It doesn't do anything. It's so random. So a trade that actually shows, or multiple trades that show that there's something productive happening, you're either getting better or worse in some direction. That's what I'm looking for. I don't know if I'm capable of that. Yeah. I hope he is. But that being said, that would kind of lead you to believe that probably Paxton would stay, right? It, if I had to pick one, I'd say that right now I, I predict that he stays. Yeah, I, I, I would too. And so that obviously shrinks your options. You know, do you try flip Duval for, you know, a low leverage sure. reliever? Yeah. Any, any yeah. sort of depth. Like, that's what they have to you do. You could flip anyone for, like, some reliever. Like, you could flip, if you wanted to, Arroyo or um, Kike Hernandez, yeah. well, maybe. Let's get him out of here. Good transition. Mm-hmm. Kike, you can send that dude to the sun. He's a loser. I've come around on him. I used to love him. We we're like, oh, he's like the captain of this team. Like, he's such a good influence in the clubhouse. I don't even know if the clubhouse likes him. I don't know if anyone likes him. Well, yeah, but that was also back when he was actually playing baseball like someone who knew yeah. how to play baseball. It's hard to be like a productive influence when you're bad at baseball. Yeah. On a baseball team. And before the season, if you told us that Kike would be a subtraction from this team, potentially, we would say, oh, that would kill the clubhouse. Like, oh, yeah, what are you doing? But Right now, it would help because he is so bad. Um, but there, there's also been, like, obviously, he's, he's playing terrible. He knows it. He doesn't need people to tell him. So he's frustrated. But we have seen things come out yes. over the past couple of weeks that... I screenshotted this the second it came out. Chris Cotillo tweeted it. It was in the pre or post game presser. The question was to Kike. It was Cora was saying pregame that unplugging you for three days might be good for a mental reset. Do you feel like that's the case? And Kike Hernandez responded, "Um, I guess sure we can say that. Yeah, sure." And then so Cotillo says, "So no." And Kike says, "I mean, agree to disagree." So that is kind of. Joey, you texted, you said that I didn't realize Kike was this moody. That is a moody response. Cora is someone who's had Kike's back the whole season. And he gave him an out right there by saying to unplug or to reset or whatever the phrase was. Like, Cora gave a reason as to why so that, you know, Kike has a reason to explain himself. Yeah. And he just chose not to use it. And look, I get it. He's he's been statistically the worst player in baseball. He's the lowest war in the major leagues. You don't do that by accident. You, you know, you have to be some level of bad. But Yeah, you can't be upset at being benched when you're literally the worst player in the sport. I get it. I get it. It's frustrating. You're playing bad, and you don't need people telling you that. But it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of revealing in a way that a guy like this, if he's not around, maybe the clubhouse really won't suffer. Justin Turner might lose one of his friends, but, you know, that's business. He's he's been the worst player, and a roster crunch is coming up soon. He's probably the first one to go. Yeah, I mean you have and, Pablo Reyes coming back and Trevor Story coming back, and both those guys play positions that Kike plays. Like I yeah. I know they're not really playing much shortstop anymore, but you don't need an outfielder. 
you already have a logjam with Duran and Duvall and Yoshida and Verdugo and Ref Snyder. You don't need another outfielder. Kike doesn't add more value to your team by playing outfield. Yeah, he may not throw as many balls into the fourth row, but, but even even at, like at second base, which is his natural position, he he was making errors, yeah. and they're all throwing errors. Like, look, he's damaged goods right now. I I think for him, he probably needs a change of scenery, right? I think so, or at least some kind of wake-up call. Like I think, him. I don't know if he's too secure in his role with the Red Sox right now, and he's kind of shaken is. up. But look, I, Cora plays favorites. We know that he's had Kike's back all along because they're both Puerto Rican, and he's given him a bit of a longer leash. But it's getting to a point now where would you rather? Obviously, Trevor Story when he comes back, it's confirmed he is playing shortstop, but. There's just no place for Kiki on this team. No, like, there, it is halfway not. through the season, and he's still statistically the worst. He leads the MLB in errors still. You look at his baseball savant, he's first percentile All in expected blue. slug, first percentile in outs above average, third percentile in expected batting average. He's 11 percentile in barrel percentage. He's so bad. 15 percentile in hard hit percentage. He's so bad. There's no good part of his game. His defense is bad. His offense is bad. It's one thing if he's out there not hitting, but he's Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield. I mean, he's good in the outfield. Or he's That's what Trevor we have Yu Chang for. Exactly. Yu Chang can field, and Yu Chang is not good at hitting, but he's better at Kike at this point. Anyone's better than Kike at this point. Yeah, and... No, everyone yeah. is better than <laughs> everyone. Kike at this it's, point. It's crazy because it's gotten to a point now where when I see Kike's name in the lineup, I, I, I have an internal sigh, which it's crazy that it's gotten to this point, like how far he's fallen. Yeah. And it sucks to see, obviously, because he is fun when he's good. But I miss fun Kike. This is not fun Kike. Yeah. This is very not Look, fun his con- Kike. his contract is up at the end of the year. I can guarantee he's you he, he's, he's not, he's not going to be here beyond yeah, this yeah. year. And I feel like at this point, if you can find a team to take on the remaining part of his salary, that would be Do amazing. It. Do it. That would be amazing. But a trade would look better than a DFA too. Well, he when could you, get DFA'd this week. Who knows? But in terms of uh, optics, yeah. trading him would look better in the clubhouse than DFA. It him. would. But you know, when you it DFA a guy, something. when you True. DFA in a theory, guy, even you have seven cash, days anything. to trade him. You do have seven days. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I think that. I think that it could be happening before the Chicago series, right? It could. I think someone is it due could. to come back. The Red Sox raised. like shaking things up coming into the second half. They, I mean, it's they, great time, too. You had a little buffer break. Send them pack in, start the season fresh. And I th- this would be an understandable one. Like, last year, when when, a, when there was, what, like two weeks left in the season, DFAing Plowecki, that was that just was an, bad. That was really bad, even more bad optics. You know, you get rid of a really good guy. A good that teammate. shows they don't care that much about stirring the no, clubhouse, though, so they could do this. But, like, this year, I think if Kike got DFA'd, people would understand. People would probably, people welcome it. We know that. But even from an internal standpoint, guys, I think, would understand it more than they would last year with a Vasquez trade or a Plowecki DFA. Realistically, who is he friends with? Like, Justin, Justin Turner, Turner, for sure. But outside of him? Um, I mean, we don't know. We're not in the clubhouse, but... True, but well, I don't know his, if his the clubhouse leader, identity... His leadership has not been great. He, he, talked, yeah. he talked quite a lot in spring training. And it's hard to lead when you're the worst player on the roster. Yeah, he, he didn't back it up. And, yeah. it you know, it's a really bad look. Like, if you talk about team identity, like, to start the season, it for sure was, like, Kike and Justin Turner recruiting people. But now that we're halfway through, I feel like the team identity is more of, like, the young guys. Like, it's Brian Bayo, it's Jaron Duran, it's, it's Tristan Casas. 
it's and then Justin Turner leading the charge, Masataki Yoshida, Alex Verdugo. Like I, I just don't see where Kike fits into the team identity. Yeah, at this point not anymore. And you know, you only have so many roster spots. When Trevor Story comes back, which could be right around the deadline, the goal is August. Um Yeah, you're you're gonna be faced with some tough decisions and I think it would be it would be better to make them now. And if look, I'm sure that they're calling teams, seeing if there's a potential suitor out there. If you could get anything for Kike, that would be amazing. But look, if you release him, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with eating that, eating whatever salary is left. It's gotten to a point where, you know, a team is doing you a favor by taking him on. Yeah, I mean, he's... But he's, it's not saying that he's completely valueless because a team could need a utility guy who needs a change of scenery who we know is a beast in the playoffs, right? That's how you'd have to pitch yeah. it. Yeah, you're right. I think right it's now damaged he's just... goods. He is. I think right now he's just a liability and kind of getting in the way. Like, I, there was a huge problem. Uh, yeah, I think it was the last game before the All-Star break where Kiki Hernandez was in the lineup instead of Jaron Duran right after Jaron Duran went off. What did he do in that game? Was that he was like four for he five? Was, or he was he five for five with four doubles. No, no, it wasn't. No, that, that was one. it was um it was the one where he fell a triple shy of the cycle. He did really oh, well. Yeah, he did really um, well. Was that and against? He was benched the next the day. That was against the, the A's. He was benched the next day just because it was a lefty on the mound and Kiki Hernandez was in the lineup instead in center field. I had a lot of issues with that. Um, All of Red Sox Twitter did. Don't worry. Yeah. Like the point oh, has everyone. gotten across, which is great to see. Jaron Duran should be playing every day. And if Kike Hernandez is going to be the guy to get in the way of that, <laughs> it's one thing if you want Adam Duvall playing so you can showcase him for the trade deadline. But Kike Hernandez has no place playing instead of Jaron Duran. How did he do in that game? He went 0 for 2 and got pinch hit for. So clearly he made a huge impact being in that lineup. Um, yeah. And it, it should have been Duran all along. The whole, I also have a problem with Cora uh, not starting lefties just because it's a lefty starting pitcher. Tristan Costas has a better uh, on-base percentage against lefty starters than righty starters. And then he's not playing most uh, games against lefties. I know you want to get Adam Duvall in there. I know you want to keep Justin Turner in the lineup. But there should be some way to fit Tristan Costas in there. And that, that was the game. Um, he benched Costas, Verdugo, and Duran. Those are three of your best hitters and three of your hottest hitters. And you're benching them just because it's the lefty. And it's right before an all-star break, too, where they're about to get four or five days off. Yeah. And I'm looking at Duran's splits right now. He's only played – he's only started eight games against the lefty this year. Um, only eight. That's crazy. Yeah. But in the – so he has faced a lefty in 26 games this year. Only 40 played appearances as opposed to 211 against righties. So um, – Wow. Obviously a big discrepancy there, but OPS plus against lefties is 101, so right about league average. Uh, against righties is 150, so that's obviously where the inflation of his numbers is coming from. But Kike you know, is not better. No, he's not, but you know, a guy like him, he needs to see lefties more because Yeah, you can't get if, better if he's going to be your se- Yeah, if he's going to be your center fielder of the future, you know, he's almost 27 years old, like why is he not playing against lefties? Yeah. I I'm sure that that will change beyond the deadline because I get it. I if it comes down to like obviously Rob has to be in there every day so that against the lefty so that that's where the logjam begins yeah and I'm okay with that Rob obviously should be oh absolutely but and then it comes down to Duvall most of the time like he I I would be okay with him in center field against the lefty it's 
that goes to show, like, you know, hopefully if Duvall is gone at the deadline, then Duran should be in there every day. He should be your leadoff hitter every single night. Yes, absolutely. Because he just, when he's on the baseball field, he's wreaking havoc. He's a game breaker. He, yeah, he is. He's, he, he's learned how to be a major leaguer, and it's so cool to see. I feel so good for him. In that game I was just talking about, he pinch hit, and he immediately was causing havoc on the base paths. He almost beat out a ground ball to the shortstop, and he's just causing problems for the opposing teams. Yeah, he had an awesome play where he had the infield single to short and then took second because the shortstop didn't get to the ball. Oh, yeah, that's what Shout I was Shout out thinking, to Tyler yeah. Wade for being the worst baseball player I've ever seen play a major league game. Yeah, I love um, playing the two A's. They make us look so outs. good. <laughs> Two bunt pop-outs, a drop pop-up in center field, and then that. It was in his glove, and he just fell over, and it fell out. It was so yeah, funny. Oh, my God. And that the thing, stinks. The thing that I can think of, though, is last week we were talking about how, you know, the Braves having Acuna and all these teams have these game-changing players. In a year or two years, Duran could be ours. I mean, he's... That's a good point. Right he now, already, he's the closest thing to he's it. He's the closest thing we have, too. I mean, Verdugo's been playing out of his mind, but Duran is breaking teams open single-handedly. Yeah, it sets the tone for your for the rest of the offense, right? Yeah. I mean, he leads off games with doubles or triples, a ground out, scores them right away and it's boom, one nothing Red Sox. I now, feel like every time he leads off, he's hitting a double. Yeah, it's every crazy. Time. He leads the Red Sox in doubles now and he didn't play like the first 3. He's up there the in the league. Like, I know. Leaders. Yeah, he's top 5, I think. He is. It's for unbelievable. Sure. And to me right now, he he looks like Jacoby Ellsbury. Yeah. That's what he reminds me He's of. He's been compared to him a lot. I play him every day. There's At this point, with this season, given all the circumstances, he should be playing every day. He brings energy to the whole team, and he needs to be in there. Yeah, he's day finally looking out. like the top 30 prospect that he once was. Yeah. Let him play. Because ultimately, this you know, you got to figure out what you have going into this offseason. Yeah. And you can see him play by using SeatGeek. Because SeatGeek is the best ticket provider out there for all sports, concerts, shows, and more. They make buying tickets easy by grading every ticket price so you know you're getting the best deal. And they provide a view from your seat so you can pick the perfect seats to any event. And you can get $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek by using the promo code DUGOUT. That's D-U-G-O-U-T. Spells DUGOUT. Yeah, go see... The Sox, we'll see them. the Sox of the Woo, or the Dogs, the Sea Dogs, <laughs> looking pretty good these days. That was like poetic. Yeah, sounded like a poetry slam there. Um, that was a uh, that was some good cold hard baseball talk right there. Yeah, um, but we, we got, got some, into it. Yeah, we got some more stuff to get into. Uh, All Star break, lots of things going on. The MLB draft happened and we have a draft pick to talk about we'll we have multiple draft picks we drafted a bunch of guys i want to talk about the first round draft pick that we got the 14th overall pick catcher out of virginia kyle teal um i really like it i honestly i i don't really educate myself too well on draft prospects i knew like the top four or five um didn't know teal but from everything that i've heard and seen and learned he was kind of a steal the Red Sox and I think other teams were not expecting him to fall that far, but he did, yeah, and I the mean, Red Sox swooped him up. I mean, when you can pull the ACC Player of the Year in the 14th pick of the draft, give me that. You're getting some value. I mean, he batted, he had a 407, 475, 655 line. That's unreal. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. And I'm not going to pretend to know much about college baseball, but you know, going into this draft, he was a consensus top 10 pick, and he was 
regarded by most as the best catcher on the board. Um, yeah. So for him to to fall to us at 14 is fantastic. I mean, you. I'm reading all these articles. Everyone is is giving the Red Sox praise for this pick. So it's not. It's nice to see. And I've seen stuff that obviously he can get on base. He can mash. He's got a violent lefty swing. He can play catcher. His defense has improved a lot recently, which is great to see. But he can also play a little bit of infield for you. So it shows that he is athletic. He has range. It makes sense. And it's nice that we drafted a college player like this first round because the timetable is a lot shorter than a Marcelo Meyer. Right. You draft a guy out of high school, you need time for him to mature and make his way through the minors. A college guy is a lot closer to be able, being able to move quickly through the farm system and get to the big league club um, in, in shorter time. But yeah, like you said, Teal is extremely athletic. Scouts talked about how uh, he's seen time in the outfield and infield. Scouts have said that he could probably handle playing second or third base at the MLB level. His, his coaches have said he could be an all-star second baseman for a major league club, uh, but he could also still work great behind the plate. Uh, it says that his athleticism helps his overall receiving, and he's a high baseball IQ and leadership skills. Uh, like you said, he can mash at the plate. I love this pick, especially because the Red Sox have had problems with their catching position over the years. Yeah, you got Connor Wong, but this guy could be one of your catchers of the future, which is huge. Absolutely. Exactly. I was I was about to say, I mean, it's a great pick for the Sox right now because in reality, we don't have a ton of depth at catcher. I mean, we have Connor Wong. And that's it. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> we, they that have is, no other catching it. prospects. There's no prospects. There's no, there's no backups. I mean, if we can get this guy ready, I mean... Obviously, it's going to be a few years, but to bring him up as our future catcher, this can be something that can help us big time in the future. I love it. I love it. It's a great draft yeah. pick. Um, and, you know, for catchers as a position, it takes a little longer for them to develop. But, you know, I'd say the goal for him would be somewhere around like 2025. And that aligns with, yeah. you know, Meyer will be up by then. Uh, Nick York could it's be up by then. future core. Mikey Romero, Roman Anthony. Like all those guys in a couple of years, it sucks to say, you know, just wait a couple of years for these guys. But to give Haim his credit, he has brought in some very promising prospects. Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the other draft picks, we don't need to go through them all, but they drafted a lot of high school shortstops. And I know Red Sox fans are out there like, why do we keep getting shortstops? We have Meyer, we have whatever. Um, when you draft a guy out of high school, so many things can change. They could totally change what position they play. Uh, Mookie Betts was a second baseman. He ended up being a gold glove right fielder, an outfielder. Um, So, like, you look at a Little League team, where's the best player playing? It's shortstop. And so you pick the best player out of of high school, it's going to be the shortstop most of the time. So, so many things can happen. Uh, They can move around. Uh, So uh, there's no issue in terms of logjam in my mind of drafting a bunch of high school shortstops. You're just picking the best player. Uh, I've always believed in drafts of of picking the best player available. Um, Coming out of college is different. It's more positional needs. But with high school, it's just the best player available. So I have no problem. Uh, Overall, I think they did a great job in the draft. Yeah, Um, and it's better than picking, you know, like they did in the past, those corner infield guys, those first, third prospects, because that really restricts you because – Usually when a prospect like that is listed as first to third, they end up it's as only first. first. Yeah. Uh, so look like at Costas, look at Dahlbeck, look exactly. at Chavis. I mean, Chavis played second base, but he's irrelevant. And for the and for the fans that are saying, oh, why are we drafting so many shortstops? I mean, we drafted four of them, but those are guys that we can 
improve to put anywhere, but think about what this team really needs, and you should be happy about this draft. True. We, we drafted, need shortstops. We drafted <laughs> – we need shortstops, but we also drafted 12 pitchers. Yeah. We need that. That's important, I would too. say, in all reality, I mean, they may not be all very good. That's what prospects but is, though. We need prospects. This yeah, team a needs chance. a future. Yeah. In the past, it was 50% of first-round picks even saw the majors. It's getting higher th- these years now with advanced scouting. But, you yeah. know, at the, end of the day, at the end of the day, prospects are prospects. I've always said that. And these guys, they're assets. You know, some of these guys are never going to play for the Boston Red Sox, but they might play in the majors just for someone else. They, they could be trade pieces in exactly. the future, too. You never know. Um, yeah, so overall, great job with the draft. One thing I was thinking about while literally watching the draft was, in terms of Heim Bloom and his job, they wanted him for the draft for sure. He's a draft guy. But now that the draft is over, if you're planning on moving on from him, depending on what happens with the trade deadline, there there, there could not be much of a reason left to keep him around. Yeah, I still season. I still think yeah. the, the deadline is his last chance, right? Exactly. He's got to prove himself. And look, if he does a good job, you hang on to him for another year. But and Or at least not, another cut, two months. Yeah, you cut the ties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of the All-Star game, there was a lot of JD and Mookie together. And that was a very, like, bittersweet thing. It was cool seeing... Two guys that I obviously like a lot. And had Very a happy impact. that Xander was not an all-star this year. <laughs> yeah, that would have been rough. That would have hurt. Um, literally watching the all-star game, you got Nathan Avaldi pitching to Mookie Betts, and then J.D. Martinez is like, what are we doing? Red Sox fans are just watching that, crying. Um, but it was nice to see the two two besties back together again. Like, good for them, at least. They're happy. I mean, that's what the all-star game's all about. Yeah. I mean, you got these guys, you know, they're moving all around the league. I mean, it's not like they're not going to still be friends after they're on different teams. It's, exactly. This is a time for them all to get a break from their season and go be with the guys that they used to play with, the guys that they still play with, and just all their friends. But my God, does it hurt us. It really <laughs> sucks for the fans, yeah. but I'm glad that they're having a good time. Yeah. You're watching the Home Run Derby, and Mookie's just up there having a good time. It's, it's, it's happy like to be there. It's like meme yeah, and then Squidward looking yeah. out the window at SpongeBob and Patrick. That's Mookie and JD, and that's yeah. us. JD's telling Mookie to, to hit the ball, like pull the ball, and Mookie's like, I don't know how. It's just funny watching those two. Um, speaking of the home run derby, ESPN sucks. Oh, my God. That was garbage. Garbage. Sucks. Like, I haven't liked the, the Sunday Night Baseball crew all season. I think they, they're awful. Eduardo Perez just is like, and that's what we call a pelota. Like, that's so useful. <laughs> and <laughs> during the home run derby, they're just sitting there like, they'll hit a home run. They'll be like, wow, look at that one. And wow, look at that one. <laughs> the wow, broadcast is awful. One. They just show the fans catching yeah. the ball. Like, I don't care about that. Show the home runs. It, they had a really cool view of like one of the cameras from right behind like the batter yeah. circle. So and they barely used it. That and they didn't use it. But then also Carl Ravitch was like, and this one's going to go. Oh, wait, no, sorry. On like pop-ups to the warning He didn't even track. know what was going he on. He didn't know. He did not know what was going on. Oh. It, ESPN just continues to be a loser company. I, the I analysis ESPN is so for bad. Years. The, in, in all sports, but... Did you see? Vladdy won it, and they're like, second-ever Cuban-born player to win. He's not Cuban-born. He was born in Canada, first of all, and his family's Dominican. So there's no Cuba in there, and they have that on the nationally televised broadcast. Like, clean it up. Like, do so- You are ESPN. You're supposed to be the flagship channel for sports. They were supposed to be the worldwide leader in sports, but they suck now. They re- that, the home that run set derby me off. was borderline unwatchable because in of In all sports, ESPN was. is garbage. Sunday Night Baseball sucks. Home Run Derby, their broadcast sucked. 
that their whole crew again the, they should the let mlb network awful. do it mlb network's amazing they should be doing it i'm watching the pregame on mlb network then i have to flip over to espn it's like i'm immediately making my life worse yeah imagine kevin millar doing the home run derby or like anyone I, anyone on that staff literally anyone Remember Eric Burns? Eric I don't Burns think he was worked, electric. I don't think he works there anymore. No, he got like fired or yeah. something. He probably did something. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah, he, he, that dude was crazy. He was but, weird. Oh my he was God, funny. He was awesome. yeah, I loved him. Um, but yeah, I, I can't stand ESPN. Um, another big thing with the All-Star game, uh, rightfully so, they made a big deal about Shohei Otani, obviously because he's the best player in, in the game right now and possibly of all time. Probably not even possibly. More like Probably. And it was funny because Seattle fans were chanting for Otani to come to Seattle. Uh, they don't got the money for that. Um, Joey, where do you want Otani to go? Why wouldn't you want him to come here? Like, don't forget that this is the Boston Red Sox owned by Fenway Sports Group who makes boatloads of money. You know, it does not... We're Look, talking about what, 600 to 700 million here yes, for Otani. And the Red Sox, the Red Sox are one of the few teams in the league who can afford that right now. And they couldn't afford they Mookie. They couldn't afford Xander. They didn't what, pay those two guys. They're going to pay they told you. That's what they told you. <laughs> that's what they want you to think. Yeah, literally. Um but look, the way that you have to look at it is Shohei Otani is a $35 million pitcher. He is a $30 million bat. I would pay him $65 million no, a year. No, I would. I no. would. Because some team will. Why not us? Because the Red Sox, look, the attendance has been bad. It's been really, really bad. There yeah, is so no pay a guy $700 million and the ticket prices are out of this world? It gets People will buy them. I would buy them. Look, if they raise the ticket prices for Shohei Otani, I'm all in. Because it gets people in seats. Yeah, it gets people in seats. I mean, it, the money that the return on investment that Fenway Sports Group would get from signing Shohei Otani would be astronomical. Because if you look at the Angels games, there are Japanese ads all over the place. So you have a completely new country worth of ads that comes in and will pay you boatloads of money just to get their place behind home yeah. plate. And look, the Red Sox destinations, they would have a huge boom from people from Japan coming to see Otani. Like this, he, it's not just a baseball player. It's a spectacle. Especially on days that he pitches, look, it's going to be, if he came here, it would be impossible to get a ticket to see him pitch, which is a great thing for, for the Red Sox. It's a great thing for baseball because in, in a market like Boston, who has a history of success, the most successful team of this millennium, why shouldn't it be here? They're in the, they, they have the means to do it. They're under the luxury tax this year. One of few teams in baseball who can do it. The Dodgers went under the luxury tax this year. To prepare to pitch Otani, the Mets are the Mets. They'll give out whatever. So, but look, it's a narrow list of teams who could realistically sign him. The Red Sox are one of them. You can't deny that. And you know Boston fans. Think about a fully loaded Fenway Park with Shohei Otani on the mound, just mowing down hitters. It's like it's It'd like the Patriots. You could hear, yeah, you could hear those the screams of fans for at least. Two miles. Yes. Okay. So from an entertainment standpoint, absolutely, it's no brainer. He would be awesome to have in Boston. Even from a business standpoint, like you said, getting the the Japanese fans invested in the Red Sox and getting people in the stadium, 
it would be incredible for that. From a baseball standpoint, though, it's scary, though, because you're talking about $700 million. So that limits what you can do around him, I feel like. Maybe for the Red Sox, they not not so much, but I don't know. I feel like it's the luxury tax cycle where you can go over for your for your three years and come back down. But there, are, way, there are ways to navigate it. They didn't pay well, Xander. I know. They didn't pay May- Mookie. Maybe they didn't pay him because they knew Otani. Well, this is going to be available. Especially they didn't pay Mookie bets because of time. No, 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 no. For five Xander, years for, ahead. from Xander. Well, when when Mookie was they a, never gave David Ortiz that max contract because of Shohei. Look, they, they were he was coming. No, they were in on Otani when he was coming over from Japan. Like the I mean, who wouldn't there, be obviously, but for okay from a baseball standpoint though, like you said, he's like a thirty million dollar hitter and a thirty five million dollar pitcher, maybe even forty million. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That is true. However, he's one player. So if that one player and he gets saves hurt, you a roster spot. If that one player okay. gets hurt, you lose your best pitcher and your best hitter. But if you, I'd rather have two separate players. I'd rather have a thirty million dollar hitter. I'd rather have a thirty-five million dollar pitcher as two separate guys. Because if one gets hurt, you don't lose your best offense and your best defense. Yeah. No. Also, I, also with a thirty million dollar hitter, that guy plays the field most likely. I don't care. That guy runs the. I show he runs the Look, bases. He's got speed, but you're, you're every I, I day under, you're worried I about him hurting that. himself and then losing your pitcher too. But you look at the needs that this that the Red Sox need to. Yeah, you need be a pitcher. A, you need to, a hitter. Sure. You, you need you need Why not that middle of the. Yeah, you need the middle of the order bat and a frontline starter that gets it done. And look, we we always joked about Yoshida. You know, he's buddies with Otani. Maybe he'll come here. But you know, there there could be legit substance behind Boston's that. Boston's cold, dude. Whatever. Masa said he was cold, but that's okay. He's chilly. Um, if you were Shohei Otani, where would you rather go? Los Angeles or Boston, Massachusetts? Depend. Well, how many championships do the Dodgers have in, in his lifetime? I don't think he cares about that because he'll bring them it. He'll bring them a championship. He's Shohei Otani. The answer to that is one, and that was a Mickey Mouse season. But... Yeah, but it, it it comes down to the Red Sox are one of the very few teams in baseball who can do it. I don't know. I the old Boston Red Sox, yeah, but what they've been the past few years, I don't know. Yeah, well, maybe. I I don't know the way that I see it. I this is being super optimistic. You know, every couple of years you have to shed some salary and come back down. But when maybe they were in the midst of doing that, which they were. Let's say they were in the midst of doing that with the Mookie stuff, but then they realize they look down the horizon and they see Otani could be a free agent. Why? Do, seriously, why don't you prolong that period to ensure that you have the financial flexibility in order to do it? Mm-hmm. We dissolve Heim's salary and we offer him a billion dollars. Heim or Shohei? Shohei. How much of, do you think I'm getting, getting paid? paid. <laughs> Just get rid of it all. Just get rid of the whole front office and then pay Shohei a billion dollars. Yeah, he uh, can't give that That up. might cover the cost Heim, of Shohei's apartment, dude. Heim and his $400 million contract. We all yeah. know he has. No, whole front office. Get rid of everyone. Still, it's not that much. A billion dollars? How much are the Red Sox worth? Like $3 billion? Six? We can we can bump that up a little bit. It's like six. So um, <laughs> Shohei will be a sixth of your franchise's value. Put it all on red. Double it. 
You're forgetting that this is over the course of ten years, though. It's not like you give him seven seven hundred million dollars okay. right then. It, it, like, but you are guaranteeing it. He's gonna get it one way or another over time. Yeah, but but in the same and, way, you're still bringing is, in money over those ten years. Seventy yeah. million is like the Pirates' payroll. It's that's like double Pittsburgh the Pirates' payroll. Poverty. Yeah, that's different. But you have one player worth double the yeah because the whole value of one franchise. Yeah, because you're he's putting better yourself, than that entire you're giving yourself the opportunity to get the best player Fair. ever. And what if he like breaks his arm? It's a risk you're willing. You got to be willing to take, right? It's I'm show, not it's Shohei Otani, dude. I so I, one, I am willing one to team, take that risk. One team will be willing to take that. And it's 10 years. You look at 10 years down the line, what are contracts going to look like? Because that, you know, $70 million potentially a year no, might not look like that no. 10 years down the road. Adjust- I would rather have Nathan Avaldi and Matt Olson than Shoei Otani. It's the same thing. That's a hot I take. mean, I look, those are two elite players. I get that. Separate players. Nathan Avaldi goes out and tears his ACL. You still got Matt Olson in the lineup. You're thinking UCL. Yeah, but though, the, are you? yeah, but you're also ACL, thinking UCL rotator cuff. I'm talking knee. I'm talking shoulder. If he goes out there, he gets hit by a bus. You lose your starting pitcher. Yeah, Ooh, but doesn't look, matter what it is. How'd that another bus another on the field. Another way things could go is the offseason. You sign Hanley and Pablo. Those are two failed contracts. <laughs> so they're like Those like two names just that's came up. that's my counter to your well. You know, there's less risk, but there's also the risk of both contracts not pay- playing out. And that's a legitimate thing. You can't thing. compare it to Hanley and Okay, Pablo. okay. You Stan- could. Would you rather... Look, Stanton and Cole are th- are roughly the same combined value as what Otani could be getting. You could argue, like, Cole's good, but he... The uh, AL All-Star Game starter? Yeah, he's look, pretty in, good. In the Cy Young talks. <laughs> that Cole guy, he's all right. He's all right. I'd still rather have Otani. I, I, I just. I'd rather have Otani than Garrett look, Cole. Look, yeah. Look, attended. It all comes down. The Red Sox need to make a move that shows that they're the Red Sox still because they haven't been. You don't for need years. to get Shohei to do that. You gotta get. Yes, you, you gotta do. get a big name. You gotta get some. Like Something's we said, gotta make a splash. Like we said, we the Red Sox need an Ellie De La Cruz or a Ronald Acuna. Like Jaron Duran could be like the speed aspect of it, but he's not the full package. You need a player like that. You had one in Mookie Betts. This wouldn't be a thing. I'd rather have Mookie back than Shohei. Yes, but you let him go. You traded him. It's gone. Get him back. Okay. Think about <laughs> it. Think about it. Let the Dodgers get Shohei and then take Mookie from him. I mean, Mookie... No. I'd rather have Mookie Betts and, uh, and uh, you know, a pitcher. Who's a good pitcher that's actually available? No one this year. I don't know. We'll get someone. Dylan Cease. I no. <laughs> My point. I don't know. It's just when you're talking seven hundred million dollars, it is a lot. It's a heavy liability. And if you talk about, you can defer it like you did Manny and the Bobby Bonilla thing with the the Mets. Um, but seven hundred million dollars. That's going to handicap your franchise for years. I don't care who you are. You can be the Dodgers. You can be the Mets. Yeah, you can be the Red Sox. But guaranteeing it opens $700 million. Up, it opens up a championship window. If you, get, if you get three championships out of it, it's worth it. John Henry probably doesn't even tip when he goes to like a, a sandwich shop. You think he's paying $700 million, million for one player? He might if it's one of the best to ever do it. You tip at fast food places? Bad example. I don't know. If you have money, maybe you do. 
I mean, I guess. I could tip at a restaurant, but like, if I'm going to you know, Burger you make a good King, point. I'm not I giving think that, a tip. that's a huge scam when like the subway guy turns yeah, around like, the screen. Uh, is, oh, like, here's the screen. Tip. Show your. You want to give a tip? No, thanks. no, I don't. It took you 12 seconds to make that sandwich. I could have done it. Yeah. Uh, no. Good point. You got me there, but yeah, I mean, if, I'm I'm just trying to help. You're losing money here if you're giving tips. True. Yeah, I'm out on that. Anyways. Okay, what what about this? <laughs> oh no. Four years, three hundred million dollars to Shohei Otani. Why would he do that? Because he he would be young enough to. I get would it. do that. I don't know why he would. Because he would be thirty-two years old at the end if of it. Steve Cohen so and the Mets are crazy enough to give him like ten or seven hundred. No, okay. I someone at work suggested this to me. Four years, four hundred million dollars. Would you do that? Because he would be thirty-two at the end of that, so he would still put himself in a position yes. to get an even bigger deal. And that's a hundred. Do that. it, it would it would be a hundred million dollars a year. No team is going to pay him a hundred million dollars over ten years, uh, per year over ten years. And then in that in that situation, you can blow past the luxury tax as much as you want because that's your window, and then you reset when it's over. I would do that. If you gave, yeah, if you Deal. gave, Ota- sign me up. <laughs> Sold. All right, get him on the phone. Get him on the phone. Make it happen. Um, Actually, even better, get Shohei on the phone. We'll convince him. You speak Japanese? I'll I'll learn a for little. him. I'll I learn. Would, I would Shohei, do anything yeah. for him. Okay. I can get by. You can get by <laughs> speaking Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, I say. I'd say. Each so. nisashi go. That's like counting to five or something. That's all I know. Really? Oh, I yeah. You said go Red Sox. Ich nisashi go Red Sox. <laughs> okay. On the that only, note, <laughs> the only Japanese word I know is konnichiwa. Konnichiwa, Shohei. All right. Oh. Yeah, what she said. Go Red All right. Sox. Uh, that'll do it for this week on the In the Dugout Podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, come to Boston, Shohei, if you if you get four years, four hundred million, but not if you get more than that. Um, all right. See you next time.